we have been journeying together on the road to. And um, as you heard Sharon's prayer, she actually kind of summarized our journey together as a family, church family, where we have been going, uh, we have been walking through the road to spirituality, the road to, now today, eternity. And today I want to take this opportunity to close. Today we're going to close this series on, in, with today's sermon entitled, The Road to Eternity. What I had originally thought, how I was going to close this sermon I'm going to have to wait for another series maybe or um, do a, a row two, part two kind of a series because I really, as I shared with our church board and I shared with a couple of individuals, the sermon that I had preached last week did not take shape the way I had imagined. And I think we all know why. I mean, we saw for those of you that were here, uh, I believe that God is working in this place. You know, we had individuals dedicate their lives to God, choose to be baptized, um, young and older, and so the question is now, now what? If I am following the series, if I'm following the trajectory of, you know, you start by learning the Bible, and we know that in this process, Rick, Pastor Rick reminded us that we are going to suffer discouragement. And at some point, we may even be fearful as we journey through scripture because we start to see things that aren't exactly what we thought they were but then Jesus unfolds the scriptures and and tells us that everything points to him and as a result of the experiences we have had together and individually as we look at scriptures we see Jesus differently and our hearts burn. And as a result of that burning, um, we have to make a choice. Do we go back and tell? Do we make a decision to follow or not? Let me open parentheses. Uh, Robert, where are you? Can you do me a favor? In the back here, there's a chime, a ring chime. Could you just unplug that from the wall? Uh, I've forgotten to do that. And I know that as movement comes through, I, sorry, I made the ADHD in me comes out. So today I want to focus on the next part of the so what, on the road to eternity. And it deals with what I call the calling for every Christian. 
the calling that every individual who is alive today, who believes in Jesus or professes Jesus to be his Savior, God has given you a very specific task. And it's biblical. It's found in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. And to paint the context, Jesus is at the mountainside with his disciples. How many specifically, we don't know. We know at least the 12 are there. We know that the book of Mark says that he tells his 11. By this time, Judas is no longer with them. And they're in the upper room. Jesus appears to them in Mark chapter 16 and tells them, you need to preach this after the resurrection, that he is alive to everybody. That was the 11. But then after the road to Emmaus, after Jesus appears to the group, there were more than just 11 in that room, and they go off into the mountainside, and as they're on top of that mountain, Jesus is telling them, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Amen. Amen. And this is how the book of Matthew concludes. He tells, Jesus tells the church not just his disciples, because his disciples are the church. Amen. Or at least that's what we're supposed to be. Amen. We're supposed to be his disciples. And so he gives us this challenge, this calling of go and make disciples. So I... I started to think about, and we've been singing a song here called Ancient Words, how we go back to scriptures, how the ancient words reveal Jesus. And, and remember, we talked about on the road to Emmaus that Jesus unfolded scripture and everything pointed to Jesus, right? And I'm thinking to myself, well, what did that look like? So let's look at the ancient words a little bit today and look at words, Okay. If this feels a little bit like school, I apologize. But I think it's, if you start to connect the dots and thread through the Bible, you will see that it is awesome. And so here we go. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 18, here is what it says. Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. This is God in his covenant reminding of the covenant that he had with him. The blessing will be, was it Abraham? He would be the blessing? Would it be his son? Would he be the blessing? Sure, his son was one of the blessings, but notice how this is phrased. All the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him not through him but in him 
pointing that one day in the lineage, and we can trace back Matthew chapter 1, if you take that genealogy, it traces all the way through to Abraham, that Jesus came through the lineage of Abraham. But not only that, check this out. Exodus 19.6, just before God is about to hand the Ten Commandments to Moses, he says this, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Here's what I find interesting. Did God intend for everybody who was liberated from Egypt to become priests? Quick poll, straw vote. Yes, God wanted Israel, all of Israel to be a kingdom of priests. Yes or no? Who says yes? All right. Who says no? Who don't know? That's all right. So this is literally, okay, kingdom of priests and a holy nation. We usually associate a a priest and a pastor or, or some kind of church representative to be holy. But in this case, he looks at this as you be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You fast forward into Jesus' time, Ellen White has a very peculiar quote that says that it wasn't Jesus' lack of riches that caused the people not to embrace him. It wasn't because he was poor. It wasn't because of the miracles that he performed. But the people looked at themselves to such in such a way that they, they put themselves in a status platform rather than a missional platform. So the Sadducees and the Pharisees looked at Jesus as, no, he's not one of us, because they viewed themselves as because God said these words, because they were the religious leaders, they put themselves above everybody else. Do not raise your hands. How many of you have ever experienced somebody who put themselves above you because of their belief? And if they did, I'm sorry. That is not the gospel. Because here we see, now you fast forward into the New Testament. In 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Let me pause here for a minute. Same words, right? Same words as in Exodus. God had just liberated the Israelites from Egypt. And so he takes them and says, you are my people. I want you to be a nation of priests, a holy nation. No, not everybody that left Egypt was to be a priest in the sense of the word, and a spiritual leader. But when we understand and we look at, now this is Peter who's writing this, one of Jesus' disciples. He says, you, he's speaking to those in a particular area, but he, this, he's addressing the Christian church, you and I. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own personal people that you may what? 
proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. His marvelous light. To be a priest is not to be a full-time pastor, according to Peter. To be a generation that is peculiar, a royal priesthood, in this context, looking and threading through the imagery that God has set up since the Old Testament, God wanted his people to be an ambassador to those who lived outside. Now notice, in your Bible, the word nation there is not italics or underline. That is my doing. Why? Because the word for nation here is the Greek word for which we get the word ethnicity from. It gets very interesting because here's what it means. Ethnos, a race, as the same habit that is, i.e., a tribe, especially a foreign, non-Jewish one, usually by implication pagan. When you read in your Bible the word nation, it is the word ethnos in the Greek, in the New Testament. And it's always referring to a group of individuals outside of God's people. Let that sink in for a little bit. Nations in the Bible, in the New Testament, uses the word that we take the word ethnicity or ethnics and places into a general category of people who are in, or excuse me, outside of God's people. Wait, pastor, yes. When they talk about nations and the Pharisees, and even Jesus, he's talking about going to all nations. He says going to the Gentiles. That's what he's referring. This word appears 150 times in the New Testament. In the Greek. But every time it's an allusion to outsiders. It's an allusion to those who don't belong. Paul, in Galatians, he, write, he, he writes this. In the, in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Preach the gospel to whom? Abraham. Abraham received the gospel. Abraham understood the gospel. He knew it wasn't his own doing. Abraham saw that it was Jesus who made it all possible. So Abraham before and saying, In you all nations shall be blessed. He's pointing to the role and function that Abram would have, Abraham would have with his neighbors. The role, it, and it wasn't by whom he believed. It wasn't because God chose him out of and called him out of Ur. It wasn't because God chose necessarily the Israelites and brought them out of Egypt that they were special, but it was the function that God gave them that would determine how God would cherish them. So let's go back. Matthew 28. 
Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Does that play a little bit differently now? Does that sound a little bit differently now as to the intent of what Jesus is saying? It's not necessarily going to a different land or different country. It's saying, go to those who don't know about me. Go to those who don't know what the gospel is. To go to those who, have, who don't have a clear understanding of why Jesus came and why it's important. Go to them. Make disciples. I believe it's John 13.35. It says, By this you will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. Isn't it interesting that to make disciples is to love on people? To make disciples, to teach them, is to show God's love to them. Well, are you saying, Pastor, that we accept everything that they do and say that we love them? No, that's not what I said. Do not hear what I am not saying. When you love somebody, you love them. But you don't accept everything, but you still love them. How do I know this? I have kids. I am a child, by the way, or I was at one point. To my parents, I'm still their child. And to those of you who have grown children, they're still your children. Does that mean that what they do, you agree with 100% of the time? Do you love them any less because of it? No. But because you love them, you teach them. And and you teach them in such a way that you are showing God's love, or we're trying to show God's love to our kids. But discipline hurts. It's not easy. My dad, he said to me one day, this is going to hurt you, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. When... I was disciplined. I didn't, never understood that until I had kids. But it's not just about discipline. It's about instruction. It's about showing. It's about example. If you never example love, how are you going to teach it? If you never experience love, a love that can only come from God, how are you going to show it? How are you going to teach it? That's why I think these words are so important. Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. What did he command us to do? Well, he taught, I'm going to get there. Yes, he told us to go. Now let's think back. What did he t- teach his disciples? He was asked, Lord, which is the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all thy heart, mind, and soul. This is the first commandment. Then he said, go and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second. 
but both are of equal value. Because he says, love your neighbor is like the first one. To love God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our mind, that's one. And we have to love our neighbor with all our love, all our might, and all our soul. You didn't think I was going to say that, did you? Because it's easier for us to not love something we see. Because we can pick at it and we can find fault. Right? When that neighbor of yours is playing music at wee hours of the morning, or his car is running down the road with, without mufflers, or his children are messing up your yard, or his dog is peeing or pooping in your lawn. It's easy for us not to love what we, not, what we see in, in the things that we can identify as wrong. But Jesus is telling us to love with all our heart, mind, and soul and our strength. Because that's how we are to love God. And if we are to love God in that manner, it says that's how you're going to teach him to do all things. But here's the interesting part. He says, go, right? That's a command. That's not a, oh, by the way, I need you to put on your agenda when you have free time. If there's one thing that irks me the most, oh, let me check my agenda when it comes to the things of God. As if God has an agenda with your spot, oh, I'm just going to meet you at 10 a.m. tomorrow. How's that work for you? And yet we're like, Lord, I need you now. God doesn't have an agenda for us. Why do we have an agenda for God? Why do we schedule God in the left over? Why do we schedule God in the empty spaces that may be summarized as a minute here or a minute there? If God is telling me to go, that means that whatever it is that he, and whenever it is that he's telling me to do it, I need to go. That's go. And then he says, and make. Discipling isn't easy. It's hard work. Why? Because you've got to invest your blood, sweat, and tears into that individual. It takes time, and in some cases money, for you as you develop that person and you make them grow to become a disciple of Jesus. To make disciples isn't just, excuse me, isn't just about, here, let me have a Bible study with you. That doesn't make disciples. That makes intellectual aware Christians. That's not discipleship. Discipleship is, hey, 
I'd like to have lunch with you. Hey, I'd like to invite you over my house. Hey, you want to go for a walk? Would you like to study the Bible together? How about... Hmm. So here's your turn. What are, one of the things that we do real well here at our church, we have a once-a-month once a food distribution drive. We do that pretty well. We have a, a, a really well done and prepared Sabbath school for the adults. We have for the children too, by the way. FYI. Hint, hint. And great teachers, that's right. But what, could, what, else, what else could we do to fulfill the command? So just yell something out. What do you imagine? What can you see us as a church doing to go and make disciples better? Invite somebody to church. Okay, great, great idea. What else? What else can we do? Visit them. Okay. Model with our actions. Model what? Okay. Model Christ with our actions. Okay. What else? What are some of the things that we can do? Start a men's or women's group. Okay. Pray with them. Heard somebody from back here. No. Help neighbors with uh, things. Help neighbors with things that you can do. Damas. Say again. Make them read the Bible. Oh, how about? Let me rephrase that. I, I like the direction you're going. How about invite them to read the Bible with you? Okay. I like that. I like that. Anything else we can do? Youth events where they're safe. Help them with the trash can. Oh, he left the trash can out again. <laughs> I like that. Okay? See, it's not hard to make disciples. It's time consuming. And in that process where life happens, it becomes challenging. Was not even Jesus was 100% successful in his discipleship making. One killed himself. Jesus is the ultimate respecter of individual choices. But it did not stop him from investing in people. Because he loved them. He loves each and every single one of us, regardless of our choices. And here's where we need to understand this much better as a, as a church. God loves you where you are. And he's going to respect you where you are. And he's going to respect the decision you make. But should you choose to come to him and allow yourself to come to him and surrender as you come to him, He's going to change you from the inside out. He will, I've never seen somebody who has come to Jesus and has stayed the same. 
Pastor, it's hard. It's hard. I don't have the time. I don't, I mean, I don't have money to put in. I said, but you, we all have time equally given to all of us. And we've all been given, and I am assuming that we're all here because we are all Christians. And as Christians, we have all been given a task to go, to do this. It's not of, hey, do you think you're able? Did you fit it in your calendar? Do you think you have the ability or capability? I want to use the message that Pastor Rick introduced us this series with. Be strong and courageous. Because in this process of discipleship, you will be discouraged. You will encounter difficulties. You will encounter fear. Fear of, is this going to work? Fear of, is the, are they going to listen? Are they going to... You fill in the dot. But in that same promise that Jesus tells us to go, he says to you, I am with you. Even until the end of the age. See, it doesn't matter how challenging it may be for you. It doesn't matter what impediments you may think you have that are keeping you from going and doing and fulfilling God's call, his promise is that he's going to be with you. He's going to be each step of the way alongside you so you don't have to be fearful, so you don't have to be discouraged because Jesus promises you, I am with you to the end of the age. That's what the road of eternity looks like. A walk with Jesus, with him with us, until he comes as we disciple those who do not know him. That's what the discipling means. That's what teaching means. This morning, it may, some of you may be discouraged or even fearful of going down that road of discipling somebody because you don't know, oh, pastor, I don't know what to say. It's okay. There's a Bible text for that where, where Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to have to say because the Spirit will speak through you. Amen. Oh, I don't know. I've never given Bible studies before. We can help with that. It's not that hard, honestly. But are you willing to go? Are you willing to fulfill the calling that Jesus has given you before he went to heaven 2,000 years ago? Are you willing to fulfill the calling that he gave to the Israelites six plus thousand years ago? Are you willing to fulfill the calling that he gave to Abraham to restart the spreading of the gospel years and years ago? 
do you want to be blessed by God? Do you want others to be blessed because of your walk with him? Then go. Go. Make disciples. Fear not, because I am with you even until the end of the age. God bless you.